0: Our thoughts have a powerful impact on our daily lives. Learning how to maintain positive thoughts is important. Today, we'll learn about the power and importance of our thinking and how to change our thinking from impossible to possible. This message is the ninth in the series, Remind. The message is entitled, From Impossible to Possible. Here is Pastor Dale Shields. Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you will, this morning, and you can turn to Proverbs chapter 4, to Romans chapter 12, and then in just a moment we'll be in Judges chapter 6 as we get started in the study of God's Word today. I want to take a moment and welcome all the folks at our Frederick campus, all you folks in Frederick. Good morning to you. We welcome you, and so glad to be able to be together in worship, and what a great day to be able to study God's Word. We're involved in this series of messages called Remind. We're talking about how to change the way that we think and how God helps us to actually change our lives by changing our thought patterns, and the Bible is very big on the whole process of how you think. Many people don't realize how much uh, truth there is in the Bible about your mind, your thought processes, how you go about processing life in terms of your, your thinking patterns. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we have one of those verses that helps us to understand the power of our thinking. I'm going to ask you to read this together with me. We're going to read today from the New Century Version. So I know you've lost an hour of sleep, but you still can read. Isn't that good to know? So why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say it's reading time, just to remind them it's reading time, and let's uh, dig into God's Word together. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, aloud and loudly, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Your thoughts are setting the pattern, shaping or directing your life. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul helps us to understand the importance of thinking in the spiritual growth process. After we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, we're born again, Christ changes us from the inside out. Uh, We become new creations in Christ, but then there's a growth process that we engage in. We learn how to become more like Jesus. We learn how to apply truth into our lives. And one of the ways that happens is by us changing the way that we think. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Notice here's the transformation process, how it happens. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Bible says that for us to even discover the greater dimensions of God's will, what is good and pleasing and perfect to God for our lives, our thinking has to change. A lot of times we miss the best for our lives simply because we don't think the right way. And God brings us back around to that reality in this verse. Now, every day, throughout our day, we have a variety of thoughts. Your mind is occupied with all kinds of things. And as I've listed for you before, there are generally four things that you're thinking about throughout the day. Hopefully as a believer, there are some points and times in your day you're thinking about God, your relationship with God, your fellowship with God, a scripture verse that you read, something at least that may be a prayer that you're praying, but you're in communion with God. Second of all, you think about yourself. How am I doing? What's going on with me? What am I feeling at this moment? How am I dealing with this situation? So thoughts about yourself. Thirdly, thoughts about other people. How are they doing? How are they responding to what I'm saying to them, etc.? And then, of course, you think about just the stuff of life. We all have work that we do and things that we're engaged in every day. It's important that we have healthy thoughts about all four of those areas. We think in a healthy way about God because if you don't think in a healthy way about God, you'll never have a very good relationship with Him. You have to have a healthy view of yourself. You need to know what God says about you and think the right way about you because again, if you don't think the right way about you, you won't think the right way about God because your thoughts about you will infiltrate how you view God. And then if you don't think the right way about you, you'll have bad relationships with other people. And so thinking right about God, about yourself, and then about other people, having right views and thoughts about others. And, of course, it's very important that you think about your stuff the right way because you have work to do, things that are are decisions that you have to make and responsibilities that you have to execute. So all of these are, are areas of thought processing. Now, it's not as though when you go through your day, you can sort of segment and compartmentalize say, okay, for this moment, I'm thinking about God, but I'm not going to think about stuff. Now, it all kind of runs together, doesn't it? And sort of, you sort of find the stream of all this stuff happening. But for the sake of this series, I'm trying to compartmentalize it a bit and pull out different segments. And for the last two weeks, we talked about right thinking about yourself. And today, I want to help you to think about God the right way. Today's message is all about making sure you have some healthy thinking about God. Now, the healthy thoughts about God, it's a a massive topic. We could actually do an entire series just on that one concept, the whole idea of how do we think the right way about God. So there's no way that I can cover all of that today, but I'm going to give you a portion of it that hopefully will help you by going to the story of a man in the Old Testament by the name of Gideon. And I want to make you very familiar with this character today, perhaps in a new way than you than you've ever thought about him before. But if you will look at Gideon today, what will happen in your life is that God will help you to begin to understand in one key area of your life in terms of how you think about God, how to move from impossibility thinking to possibility thinking. Because when you think about God the right way, you will think with a whole new realm of possibility for your life. So that's the theme, moving from impossibility to possibility by changing the way that we think about God. Let me give you this story. Judges chapter 6, I'm going to read the first six verses, then we'll take a look at verses 11 and following and see some of this story. I encourage you to read actually the entire section of Gideon's life in your Bible starting in Judges chapter 6. Perhaps this week, take some time and review his whole life story. Verse 1, Judges 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them to the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. It's a very important statement there. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Let's stop there in this part of the story. What's happening is that Israel is going through some massive oppression because of their disobedience to God. They've, they've turned to idols. They've begun to worship other gods. And because of that, God let them go the way of their sin. And they find themselves being oppressed by Midianites in eastern countries. And what's going on here is by reason of this, they're now impoverished, and I'll talk more about this in a moment. They're really really oppressed, and now they're crying out to God for help. God, I need you to help me. God, we as a nation need you to help us. Verse 11, in the midst of them crying out, you'll see if you read the entire chapter, God sent a prophet, and then he visits a man with an angelic visit, and that's what I want to pick up on now in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash, Ab- right, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring you up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, "How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, "I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together." The story of Gideon's intervention here, God calling Gideon an Israelite in a time of great national oppression for Israel, and using Midian in, a, in an ama- Gideon in an amazing way to transform a nation, is a story that uh, has a lot of lessons for us on a lot of different levels. But as I said a moment ago, we're going to focus on one primary level. How does God take somebody who has a mindset of impossibility and change them into a person who begins to think of possibilities? Because this is part of the story here. You'll miss the story of Gideon if you don't understand that God comes to a man who's living with a mindset of impossibility and does something in this man, in his thinking, so that he actually is able to rise up out of his mindset of impossibility and do something incredible for the kingdom of God. And to help us to understand this, I'm simply going to give you four lessons that I learned recently in my study of the life of Gideon. Again, I've studied this passage many, many times. I've preached a number of messages on this passage this will be a fresh look at what we learn from this story and the first thing that i saw in this story as i studied it again recently was that impossibility thinking is something that imprisons people when we first meet gideon in the story in this situation he's captive in his own country he's not free in his own country In fact, notice again what's happening here. For seven years, because of Israel's idolatry, for seven years, the Israelites are living under the oppression of a group of people called the Midianites. And this bondage is going on year after year. It was a very tough time for the people of God. And during this time, the Midianites and the Amalekites and some of these eastern folks, this is what would happen. The Israelites would go out and plow up their ground and sow their seed and cultivate the ground, and as soon as the crops would come up, the Midianites would come in and would ravage the land. They would set up camp and take all the harvest away from them. Not only would they take the harvest away from the Israelites, but in addition, they would oppress them. They would treat them ruthlessly. They were mean and and hard against the Israelites. And so what transpired was this. There was horrible poverty during those seven years for the Israelites. They were suffering because they could not get any harvest. I mean, they just had to eke out a living, just barely, living under poverty. They were living under intense anxiety and fear because they knew that at any moment the Midianites could show up again and torment them even more, and they were living in hiding. The Bible says, in fact, in verse number 2, go back and look at that verse with me because it's very telling about the situation, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. What happened was, because of this oppression, the Israelites were actually, actually living in caves up in the mountains they actually had to create hiding places for themselves and this is the atmosphere where we are introduced to the character named Gideon he's living in this environment and when we meet him he's literally living in a cave And he's threshing out his wheat, this little bit of wheat that he'd saved up. And the Amalekites had not been able to steal it from him, but he's concerned that at any point in time they can come and take away from him the little that he saved from his family. And so here he is, he's living in a cave, he's threshing out wheat at a wine press way back in the mountains, living in fear. He's living in a cave. And Gideon's cave was much more than a cave for Gideon at this point in time in his life. It was a prison Because he couldn't come and go. He was fearing for his life. He was fearing for his family. It was a place that actually represented bondage to him. It was a hiding place for Gideon. It was a place of darkness. Caves are places of darkness. Ever been in a cave before? It's dark. It was a place of secrecy. He's trying to hide. He doesn't want anyone to find them. It was a place of shame. It was a place of anxiety. It was a place of fear. It was a place of limitation because there was very limited supply. He had just a little bit. It was a place of basic survival. See, folks, you don't thrive in a cave. You survive in a cave. And there you see Gideon trying to survive this circumstance. And what is very telling to me as well in this story is that the cave that Gideon was in was much more than a physical cave. It was a mental cave. In his mind, this is what he felt. Listen closely. In his mind, he felt, we'll see this in the story a little bit later, this is never going to change. It's impossible. We'll never be able to get out of this circumstance. We're stuck here and we're going to be stuck here in this situation for the rest of our lives. See, seven years can feel like a really long time, can't it? And if you've been going for five and six and seven years with the same problem, the same set of circumstances, somewhere in your mind you begin to be convinced this will never change, this will never be any different, and that's where Gideon was. Impossibility had permeated his thinking. He felt like nothing will ever be any different. All of his hope had been robbed from him. When I studied this passage, I could not help but think that in this room, in this place, Frederick this morning, Gaithersburg this morning, on the web this morning, those that are watching, those that will hear this message in the days to come by digital form or CD, there's some of you living in caves right now. That in your life right now, you're living in a very dark place, you're living in a place of secretly fearing that I'm not going to make it worrying about the fact that you've had a problem going on for a long time that there seems to be no solution to. And the enemy with this darkness has come in and tried to remind you and tell you that it's impossible. You'll never get out of this. You'll never break this habit. You'll never overcome this character defect. You'll never get beyond this situation. This will never change. And so you have now gone into a cave of impossibility thinking, and that cave has done the same thing to you that it did to Gideon. It has imprisoned you. You're imprisoned by your cave. And as we're going to see, God had to come to a man who was living with a mindset of impossibility and begin to break through in his thinking so his life could change. Here's your second principle of the story today. It's that God cares about imprisoned people. That would be a good time to say hallelujah. God cares about imprisoned people. What does God feel when He sees people imprisoned with negative impossibility thinking? Oh, some of you might say, well, I'm not sure that God feels. Yes, God does feel. The Bible is very clear that God has emotions. God is not controlled by His emotions as we are, but God has emotion. God feels things. He feels sad. He feels grieved. He feels joy. He feels compassion. God feels. And so when God sees someone living in a cave in the darkness and secrecy and, and the sense of impossibility that nothing is going to ever be able to change in my life, wondering, Will I ever be able to get past this hopelessness of heart? What does God feel when he sees a person like that? The Bible teaches us that God is drawn to people like that. God is drawn to the oppressed. He works on the behalf of the oppressed. He cares about imprisoned people. Our God is a God who actually reaches down to people who are living in doubt and negativity and impossibility in their mind. He cares about the oppressed. Psalm chapter 9, verse 9, says it this way. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 146, verses 7 and 8. He, God, upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. When Jesus was about to start his earthly ministry, the Bible says that he went to the synagogue in Capernaum and he asked for the the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he opened up and began to read a certain portion of the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah describing his ministry. And here's what a portion of what he read, recorded by the gospel writer Luke in Luke chapter four, verses eighteen and nineteen: "The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed." To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, the reason that I came is to preach good news to people that are poor. The reason I came is to proclaim freedom to people who are prisoners. The reason I came is to give recovery of sight to people who are blind. The reason I came is to release the oppressed. And the reason I came, Jesus said, is to bring people out of disfavor into favor, to bring people out of cursing into blessing. Jesus said, that's why I came. And you must understand This is the heart of Jesus. When he announced his ministry, this is what he said he was all about. He says, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. God looks for, he cares for, he longs to do things for oppressed people. In Psalm 116, verse number five, we get this this heart of God, this emotion of God toward the oppressed. The scripture says the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of, what's that word there? He does not just say he's compassionate. The Bible says he is full of compassion. The the next verse that follows, verse number 6, Psalm 116, verse 6. It's not on your notes, but it will be on the screen. I want to give it to you from the message paraphrase because I love the way it states this. God is full of compassion, verse 5 tells us, and then it tells us what he does with that compassion. God takes the side of the helpless. When I was at the end of my rope, the psalmist said, what did God do for him? He saved me. This was the case with Gideon. This is one of the reasons I love this story, that God looks down on a man who thinks nothing's possible now. I'm just barely making, I'm surviving in my cave, and God looks down and finds a man like that in not only a physical set of circumstances, but a mental set of circumstances, and has compassion on him. And he takes an impossibility thinker and turns him into a possibility thinker. I love that about God. God is not intimidated by your bad thinking. Isn't that great to know? God doesn't run from you when you think in bad ways. God is drawn to you when you find yourself captivated by this negative stuff. The Lord loves, the Lord loves to turn doubters into believers. He loves to do that. He loves to find a doubter and say, you know what, I'm coming after you. And I'm going to take you as a doubter. I'm going to turn you into a believer. Let me prove this to you. There are many places we could look at, but let's just talk about what Jesus did after his resurrection. The Bible says after he rose from the grave, he appeared to the disciples and revealed himself to them and showed that he was alive. But one of those first appearances, there was one of those disciples that was not in the room. His name was Thomas. And so the disciples were really excited. Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. We saw him. He's alive. And Thomas said, unless I see him, I am not going to believe it unless I can take my bony little finger and put it in those holes in his hands and feel his side. I'm not going to believe that he's alive. And guess what happened the next week? Jesus showed up when Thomas was there. And notice what happens in the story. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Read the rest with me. Stop doubting. And believe. Our God cares about people who are imprisoned in in, in possibilities. He loves to turn doubters into believers. Number three, God sees possibilities when impossibilities are all you see. That would be another good place to say hallelujah. I know you're busy writing, though, right? So for that sake, I'm going to read it again. God sees possibilities when impossibilities are all you see. Isn't that great? All Gideon could see was his little world. All he could see was the inside of his cave. All he could see was was what was around him. All he could see was what felt like impossibility to him, to his to his family, to his nation. He couldn't see beyond that. But what Gideon failed to see and Gideon failed to understand, that while he was in a cave, God wasn't in the cave. That God actually transcended his cave. And that word transcendent is a very important theological word. Let me talk about it for a moment. We believe that our God is a transcendent God. And when we talk about God being a transcendent God, what do we mean by that statement? To transcend literally means to rise above or to go beyond the normal limits of something. That's the idea of the word transcendence. And so our God rises above. He goes beyond any limits. Amen? That's our God. He goes beyond any limits. God doesn't live in a cave. He knows your cave, but He transcends your cave. While God sees you in your cave, He's not restricted by your cave. He sees beyond your cave. And when all you can see in your life are your limitations and your impossibilities, God is able to see beyond your limitations and beyond your possibilities. In fact, He knows all of the possibilities for you and for your life circumstances that you can't see right now because all you can see is your cave. I want you to take a look with me again at what happened here in the story with Gideon. I'm just going to highlight two verses, verse number 12 and verse number 14. Here's Gideon living in his cave. He thinks this is his whole world. It's impossible. Nothing's ever going to change. Verse 12 talks about God through an angel showing up when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. The angel said, what did he, what did he say to him? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You see that? The Lord is what? with you, mighty warrior. This is amazing. There's this guy living in a cave. He's afraid. Every time a little little something moves, he shakes because the Amalekites are coming, the Midianites are coming, the Easterners are coming. What's going to happen? My little bit of food is going to be gone. So he's living in fear, and God shows up and says, hey, I'm with you, mighty warrior. I'm sure Gideon said, "Uh, are you talking to me? Okay. Not me. Did Gideon feel like a mighty warrior? Mighty warriors don't live in caves, guys, okay? Mighty warriors don't shrink back in fear, but here God saw something in Gideon that Gideon did not even see in in himself. Isn't that beautiful to know? Let's go back to the story. Look at verse number 14 now. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? This even is more incredible. Here's this guy that's living in a cave in fear, thinking impossibility thoughts. Nothing's ever gonna change. And God says, hey, you really are a mighty warrior. And by the way, I've got a mission for you to accomplish. The mission is I want you. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, you, you. I want you to go and save Israel out of Midian's hand because I, I'm with you. I'm going to help you do this. Now think about this. A man who's thinking impossible thoughts, God says there's a, there's a future, this potential for you that you haven't even realized yet. I'm, I want to do something in you that you haven't even realized is possible for your own life. And dear ones, understand today in your life right now, maybe you're living in a dark cave. Maybe you feel like you've been at some level of your life, some part of your life that you felt, this is never going to change. I'm never going to get any better. This habit's never going to be broken. I'm going to live this way for the rest of my life. But don't you dare accept that in Jesus' name because you weren't designed by God to live in a cave, okay? You were not designed by God to live in a cave, okay? Today is the day, God said, it's time to come out of your cave. In fact, Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to come out of your cave. Just remind him it's time to come out of your cave. Your cave of impossibility, your cave of hopelessness, your cave that has locked you in and made you feel as though there's no, no potential for your life, God says, no, no, I, I see things. I transcend all of that. I see beyond your cave. I'll show you how big God is. Because that's really what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about how we ought to view God. And the Apostle Paul gave us some insight into the grandness of God, the greatness of God in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I want you to listen to this. See if you can even wrap your mind around this. Now glory be to God, who by His mighty power at work within us is able, that is God is able, to do Far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Did you see that? Now, I can dream up some pretty big things. How about you? But the Bible said that God is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. That's the God we serve, folks. That's the God we serve. And that brings me to my last point today. It's an important point. kind of brings all this home for us. It's that positive change in your life and changes in your situation begin with positive changes in your thinking. If you hope to have any change in your situation and change in your circumstances, where is it going to begin? By change where? In your mind. That's exactly what happened for Gideon. Before God could use Gideon to change a nation, God had to help Gideon change his mind. Because if you don't change your mind, you'll never change anything else. Husband, if you don't change your mind, you'll never change your marriage. Wife, if you don't change your mind, you'll never change your marriage. Mom and Dad, if you never change your mind, you'll never change your kids. If you don't change your mind, never change your neighborhood. So how do we change anything? It all starts with change in us, right? changing the way we think and this is what happened for Gideon judges 6 verses 12 through 16 let me read this one last time very quickly when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon he said the Lord is with you mighty warrior but sir Gideon replied if the Lord is with us why has all this? that sound like you why has all this happened to us where so he said if and why and where Where are all these wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. He felt abandoned. You see the negative thinking in the sky? Do you? You don't? Okay, I'll start at the beginning again. Go back The Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. See, he's just wrapped into this negative thinking. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But, there he is again. But, Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. See, all this negative, impossibility thinking is in his brain. He's got stinking thinking going on big time. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. God had to change Gideon's thinking before he could change Gideon's situation. And the same is true for you. The God has to change your thinking before He can change your situation. See, this, this, this amazed me again when I thought about this passage and this part of the story. God was not worried about the Midianites. God, they, was, they were not a problem. I mean you no know, Midianites aren't a problem to God. Remember Egypt? What happened to the Egyptians? They were all drowned. God knows how to do things, okay? The problem was not the Midianites. The problem was Gideon. The problem was in the mind of this man. If he can get a hold of one man, one lady, and change their mind, he can change incredible things. Amazing things can happen just when one person gets their mind right. When one person gets their mind where it needs to be, lots of things can change. It doesn't require changing a whole bunch of people. It requires just changing sometimes one person. When one person changes in a family, they can infect the whole family positively. When one person changes in a work environment, it can change the environment at work. When one person changes in a neighborhood, it can change what happens. In a, and see, it doesn't require the changing of everybody. Don't worry about everybody. The question is, what about me? Where do I need to change? The biggest challenge for change is in you and I. Now, I'm going to help you today, as I told you before. I'm going to help you to come to a place of moving from impossibility thinking to possibility thinking. Are you ready for this? Okay. This is the heart of the message. I'm going to need about seven extra minutes today. Is that okay? Okay, I'm going to take it anyway, but that's all right. So. And I'm going to give you seven statements that you need to get deeply in your spirit. If you'll get these seven statements in your spirit, what will happen? I call them seven faith statements if you'll begin to think this way every day of your life, this will change you from an impossibility thinker to a possibility thinker. And I'm going to ask you to read each of them with me. We're going to, all of us in Frederick and Gaithersburg together, and we want to read them with some enthusiasm and like we really believe that they're true, okay, because they are true. I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible. Are you ready? Here we go. First one, I'm not alone. I'm connected to the Almighty God. Do you believe that? Every day that you wake up, you ought to go to the mirror and say, I'm not alone. I'm connected to the Almighty God. How, are you, how do you know that that is true? Jesus said it, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He talked about us going to all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples. Then he said this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, the angel Gabriel approached Mary about giving birth to the Christ child. Mary said, how is this going to happen? And the angel said, with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So you wake up in the morning and say, I, I'm not alone. I may feel alone. It may seem like I'm alone, but I am not alone. I am connected to the Almighty God through my relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, read it with me. Now, some of you didn't read the last time I saw you. You didn't read, okay. So, help me out. Here we go. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. No, come on, together, like you mean. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible says about you. The Bible says you're not a loser. The Bible says you are a winner. I don't care who told you you were a loser, God says you're a winner. Write down the reference. It's found in Romans chapter 8, verse number 37. Romans eight thirty-seven says Paul talks about our relationship with Christ, our connection to Him. And he makes this statement. He says, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He didn't just say we are a conqueror. He said that we are more than conquerors. And the last time I checked out the word conqueror, it means winning. It doesn't mean everything in your life is always going to go the way you want it to. But at the end of the day, at the end result, if you're walking with Jesus, He can make even the bad things turn out good. He can cause your life, all things, to work together for the good of them that love God and those that are called according to His purpose. If you walk with God, you'll never be a loser. You'll always, in the end, be the winner. You'll always be the winner. Number three I'm not a doubter. I'm a believer. Stop saying I'm a doubter. Start saying I'm a believer. I'm a believer. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4.13, there's your reference, since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. And I want to talk to you about that spirit of faith just for a moment. What I want you to know is that when you met Jesus Christ, you, in fact, you could not even come to know Christ without the Spirit of God working in you to draw you to Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, the seed of faith was put inside of every one of you. All of you today, you already have faith. You have faith. In your life right now One of the reasons I know you have faith You would not even be in this room this morning If there were not some level of faith Already at work in your life So stop saying I'm a doubter And start saying I am a believer I'm a believer I have faith in my life That may not be as strong as it's going to be But thank God it's stronger than it has been And I'm going forward and growing in my faith I am not a doubter I am a believer Number five or number four, which one am I on? Four, okay. I'm not, here we go. I'm not living in the problems of the past, I'm embracing the possibilities of the present and future. Now, would that change your life view you every morning looked at the mirror and said, I am not living in the problems of the past. I'm embracing the possibilities of the present and the future. Philippians 3.13, Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press on to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, let me tell you, I know something about your past this morning. I'm going to tell you something about your past. You ready? It's past. It's gone, Okay. There's not a thing you can do about it. You can't do a thing about any five minutes ago. It's behind you. I have told you before. It's always helps me. Every when God made you, He made you, even in your body, to move forward. Which way do your, does your nose point? Which way do your ears tilt? Which way do your? I mean, you don't have eyes back here. You have eyes up here. Okay. There's only one part of your body pointing backwards, okay? (laughs) Okay? Only one part, okay? You ever try to scratch your back? Everything is designed for forward momentum, okay? So, yeah, you've got a past. Everybody does, okay? But know that God's grace can bring forgiveness. As a part of this series, I'm going to talk about moving from guilt to grace. What does it mean to live in the grace of God? We'll wrap up this mindset that you have, but begin to embrace the possibilities of your days to come, amen? Number five, I'm not asking why, I'm asking what? Stop asking why all the time. Why did it happen to me? Why did they do, why God did you let that happen to me? Why, 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 why? Why is for whiners. And why, there are a lot of questions you're not going to have an answer why for until you get to heaven. Why, why, why? Stop asking why and start asking what. Not why did it happen, but what can I do in response to it? What can I do in this situation that will move me forward? Don't spend your energy on trying to analyze. Spend your energy on try to, trying to activate, proactive in your life. Take a look at this passage with me. It's found in, um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I love how the Apostle Paul makes the statement. He says, what shall we say then? He didn't say, why shall we say? He says, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? Not why, but what? Number six, I'm not magnifying my weakness. I'm magnifying God's strength. I'm making a choice to magnify God's strength. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 is your reference there. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient, sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect, wherein weakness. Number seven, read this one. Come on, all the folks in Frederick, I can't hear you. Come on, read it loudly. Here we go. I'm not living with cave vision I'm living with conquering vision. Get rid of your cave vision. Begin to have conquering vision. John chapter 11, verse number 40. Let me tell you what's going on here. Jesus had visited the home of Martha and Mary, whose, whose, whose brother had died. His name was Lazarus. By the time that Jesus got to the home, Lazarus has been dead for four days. They have buried him, okay? Okay. And so Jesus said, you can read this yourself, John chapter 11. Jesus said, where did you bury him? I want to go to where he is. And the sister said, well, you don't want to go there. He's already in the tomb and he's been there for four days. By this time he smells, he stinks. Jesus said, take me to him. And so they're, they're, they're resisting this to some degree. And, and Jesus said, didn't I tell you? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Didn't I tell you that if you will just believe, that you can see something incredible happen? And so they reluctantly went with Jesus to the tomb. but Somehow, just with a little bit of faith, believing in Jesus. Notice this. Jesus walks up to the tomb. And by the way, in Israel, if you go there today, the tombs, most of the tombs are caves. It was a cave, okay? So let me tell you where they put Lazarus. They put him in a cave. They put him in a dead man's cave. They rolled a stone across it. He's been there for four days. And Jesus comes up to the cave and says, roll that stone away because there's somebody in a cave that needs to be out. There's somebody in a cave de- decaying, disintegrating, that needs life again. And I prophesy that to somebody here this morning. You're living in a cave, but God, Jesus Christ, is coming to you today. He's saying, roll the stone back. You're living in a cave, but that's not where I designed you to live. There's life for you. There's life outside the cave. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Somebody said, why did he have to say Lazarus? Because had he not said Lazarus, the whole cemetery would have emptied. Okay? <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. And here comes this guy, and he comes out of the cave. But the Bible says he's still wrapped in his burial garment. So he kind of comes out like this. You know, sometimes when you come out of your cave, you look a little weird, don't you? Because you've been living in there for so long, okay? And you know what else? He didn't smell good. He had the stench on him. But then once he got out of his cave, he said, okay, you guys get over there and start taking the stuff off of him. Loose him and let him go because it's a life for him to live. And dear ones, today Jesus says the same thing to you. Now look at those seven things with me again. We're going to read them in succession, loudly and loudly, together, all together, right straight down, energetically. Gaithersburg, Frederick, here we go. Number one, I'm not alone. I'm connected to the Almighty God. Number two, I'm not a loser, I'm a winner. Number three, I'm not a doubter, I'm a believer. Number four, I'm not living in the problems of the past, I'm embracing the possibilities of the present and future. Number five, I'm not asking why, I'm asking what. Number six, I'm not magnifying my weakness, I'm magnifying God's strength. Number seven, I'm not living with cave vision, I'm living with conquering vision. Now, would that change your life? Let's go back to the story of Gideon. I'll wrap it up very briefly. Where does all this end? What happened to this, this guy that's living in this impossibility mindset? And God comes to him. He's changed, and he changes a nation. In Judges chapter 8, verse 28, it says, Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace forty years. When God got a hold of one man, a lot of things changed. Amen? Are you ready to come out of your cave? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for reminding us that you're the God that pulls us out of caves and dark places. And you remind us, Lord, there's life for us. And today we ask that, Lord, where we've been caught in the mindset of impossibility, where we struggle with the dark things of life and pulled into the dark places, We ask, Lord, that in this moment, you would help us to begin to see light, to hear your voice through all of the voices of darkness, and to realize there's hope for us. I pray for that person who feels like there's that habit in them that they've never been able to break, or that character issue they've never been able to conquer, or that relationship challenge they've never been able to overcome. Whatever it might be, you know all the different caves that we live in. I pray that today you would impart to us an awareness that you transcend our caves and you call us out of them. Move us from impossibility thinking to possibility thinking, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention His name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry God for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward, in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ.